I had to uh, chuckle a little bit on the first song that we sang, Storehouses Laden with Snow. I think those storehouses are pretty empty right now up in heaven. We've got it all on our sidewalks, don't we, and on our roads. Well, for those of you who uh, I haven't had the privilege of rubbing shoulders with or, or met in our passing on these Sundays, uh, my name is Jeff Pasha, and uh, I pastor the Calgary Community Reformed Church that meets right here at 10 o'clock just prior to the service. Um, I've been bugging Elroy for a long time. said, Elroy, get me in your pulpit one day. He's, uh, he's filled in for me a number of times, and so it's really my honor uh, to be able to do the same for him this morning. Uh, it's one of those Sundays where I'm looking forward to what I'm going to say just as much as you are today. So we're, uh, we're on a journey. Uh, we've been going through the Gospel of John as a church, and so I thought, we'd share, I thought I'd share some of, the, some of the things that the Lord has laid on my heart uh, for our church and, uh, and for you guys this morning. Well, I remember um, when I was just a kid, uh, junior, junior high, grade 7, I started a new school that year. I started sort of scoping out the various uh, different groups of kids who I might want to become friends with, who I thought would be good for me. Uh, who were the cool kids? Who, would I, who do I want to tag along with? Now, this came very easy to me at first. It was a year that I had my biggest and last growth spurt. Yes, I am the same height I am today, grade 7 onward. But I was taller than most, if you can believe it. I had started growing facial hair quicker than the other guys, of which I was honored for. I was athletic, I was strong, I was all these things. It made it easy to fit in with the cool kids, let's put it that way, with the group that I felt was necessary for security, for popularity, and all of those things. However, I also met another young guy. We'll call him Chris. Chris was not one of the cool kids. He was not overly popular. He sort of kept to himself, more or less. But him and I, we really hit it off. We both had a similar sense of humor, similar interests in things. We rode our bikes together. We didn't live far from each other. In fact, we took the bus to and from school together and had a great time. We became very good friends. But as the year went on, I found myself gravitating between these Two sets of people. Those who I felt I needed for my public reputation and Chris. The guy I had spent a fair bit of time with, but mostly outside of the school setting where people didn't really see us. I remember even being asked if I was friends with Chris, Jeff, are you you and Chris, are you are you, are you friends or something? Are you best friends or something? To which I responded. Well, not really. He's okay, I guess. We, we hang out sometimes, but, but, but you guys, you guys are my friends, my real friends. I denied him. I denied my association with him. I denied the beauty of that relationship. I denied even the way that God had allowed our paths to cross. I had denied myself and my own convictions in that moment. You see, in my friendship with Chris, in our friendships that we have with one another, I had made a promise. We make that promise intrinsically to be loyal, to stand up for them. I had made intrinsic promises that I simply gave up in an instant because I was concerned about public appearance. I was concerned about my pride, my ability to avoid ridicule, and so on. Now I wonder, if we scale it up a little bit, I wonder how often we make promises that we have no intention of keeping. 
I wonder if we're really to look deeply into our own hearts, how often we make promises to Christ and to His church and the frequency with which we break those promises. John writes in his Gospel in chapter 18 that we're going to look at here this morning, he records a record, a very significant, a very difficult, a very tense account and story of one of Jesus' very own followers. Some would even say His closest follower, And the way in which this follower, this disciple, Peter, denies ever knowing Jesus. Ever associating with Him. Ever being seen with Him in any kind of way. And so what is this text and to this event in the Scriptures that we want to turn our attention to this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 18, verses 12 to 27. Before we begin, let me just pray for us. Father, we just want to thank you this morning that we can gather together as a body of Christ and that we can hear your word preached to us. May it convict us, encourage us, set us free from any sin or bondage we may be carrying today. In Jesus' name, amen. So allow me to read. I think the verses will be up on the screen as well. Allow me just to read this for you. I want you to really hear this story. Verse 12 of chapter 18. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials, they arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Now because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold. And the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing there with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I have always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. Now when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I've said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing there warming himself, and so they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, for the third time, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. The word of the Lord. It's getting close to the end of Jesus' ministry here in the gospel and even for us here as we celebrate Lent. 
We have only a few weeks left before uh, Easter, before Jesus' trial, before his final judgment takes place, and he is escorted to the cross. John narrows in on Jesus and the accusations that are being made against him by the people and by the high priest himself. But we would do well to realize just how far Jesus has come and indeed how far the disciples, particularly Peter, has come in this whole journey. They have come to follow him literally in his footsteps as they've walked the desert, as they've sailed the Galilean Sea, climbed the mountains, and have absolutely fallen in love with their Savior. There have been difficulties and trials along the way, but nothing like what they are about to experience. Jesus has finished the bulk of his teaching, and then in chapter 17 he prays, And then he prays some more, and then he prays some more. Until finally he finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, where one of his very own disciples, Judas, betrays him. Brings a detachment of soldiers to this beautiful garden. And let me tell you, it is a stunning place. If you ever have a chance to go over there, it is beautiful. It's up on a hilltop overlooking Jerusalem. It's gorgeous. It is a must-visit. And they escort him across the Kidron Valley in shackles to the house of the high priest. And I think I have a, I have a picture here as well, Faith. I want to show you this. This just helps a little bit. This is where Jesus stood looking. This is taken at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he can see Jerusalem. He can see the very place where he will be tried and executed. And they escort him from this mountaintop all the way down through the valley up around the corner to the other side. It'd be the equivalent if someone shackled, shackled one of us and took us toward West Hills or something, a number of kilometers away, quite a distance, in fact. And this was done in public view for everyone. There were houses all over that hillside. All they saw was, these, was this man, this potential criminal, being shackled, followed by a number of his associates, his disciples, And they take Jesus to Annas' house inside the gates who had earlier been the high priest that year. And then John tells us of Peter's first denial. As they walk in, a slave girl that's watching the door to the courtyard looks at him bewildered, perhaps even a little confused and says, you are not one of his disciples, are you? To which he replies, I am not. I am not. Peter denies Jesus and then tells us it was cold outside and that Peter stood around a fire to warm himself. I want to pause here for a moment. So I think John is being very intentional with the imagery here. That, he's, that he denies Jesus and then immediately it says he's standing there warming himself. Peter denies Jesus it was cold outside. His first denial turns him cold inside as well. This first denial likely strikes him to his core. How on earth... Could I have done this? How am I going to tell my Lord that I have done this very thing? Feeling cold and uncertain to his very core, trying everything in his power to keep warm, to keep positive, to keep going, while his Lord is questioned in the other room by the high priest, by the most supreme authority in Judaism at the time. Peter has been walking with Jesus He's been his closest follower, the one who said he would never deny him, never leave his side. Back in chapter 13, Jesus says, you will deny me three times. He says, no, I won't. I would never do that. 
And here, five chapters later, what do we have? The one who said he would never deny him, never leave his side, has just told a slave girl that he does not belong to him, that he does not know him in any way. What a slap in the face. A slap that Jesus himself would bear. While, while Peter is busy warming himself by the fire, Jesus is being questioned by the high priest in a cold room. And after boldly declaring that his teachings are sound, that he has done nothing wrong, and even challenges them to bring witnesses forward, witnesses like Peter, someone steps forward and strikes him in the face for the truth that is leaving his lips. Jesus took the strike that Peter deserved in that moment. Jesus bore the strike. He bore a whole lot more as we read through the gospel. But he took the blow of the authorities for Peter, and he takes the blow for us as well. It isn't easy being a Christian at times, is it? I was at a friend's place on Friday. I was helping him move in downtown, and we had dinner together. Uh, him and a few of his friends came over, and uh, his mom was there, and they cooked this amazing African meal. It was incredible, beautiful stuff. Um, and so as the custom goes, uh, we all introduce ourselves. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. The first question that often comes out of our mouths is, well, what do you do? What's your job? What kind of work do you do? Well, I was in a room with three lawyers, one of which had a background in computer engineering, science, and the other was a mechanical engineer. And then it came my turn. <laughs> Jeff, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. I follow Christ. In that moment, I didn't feel quite like I fit, quite like I belonged there. And so how do you feel? How do we feel when someone asks you, why do you go to church? Do you go to church? Do you read the Bible? Why do you read the Bible? Do you believe in God? Why do you believe in God? Do you follow Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Why would you follow him? Why worry about him at all? Some of the questions that we are uh, wrestling with as we do this Alpha course together between our two churches. We're doing an Alpha course every week here on Tuesday night. We're wrestling with these questions. Because you see something, the world is looking for an answer. It's looking to trip you up. And in that moment, it is all too easy to give in to the temptation, to allow embarrassment, perhaps, dare I say cowardice, to define our faith, to rule the day. And what strikes me is that Jesus stood up in the highest assembly of Jewish power at the time and boldly declared who he was. He did not shy away from his identity or purpose. So why should we? He took the blow. He took the slap in the face. And as I mentioned, he took a whole lot more. He took lacerations. He took all sorts of things for us so that we can now stand with courage and strength in our faith and not feel as if we need to shrink away, shrink into ourselves from it. There are those of you here, I know it, that are strong in your faith. Some may even say immovable faith. The younger generation needs to see this. They need to see Christ modeled in you. That when the world wants an answer, we don't shrink away, but that we show our kids, our grandkids, and so on, what it means to stand in front of the highest authorities, whatever those authorities may look like in your life, 
the people that mean the most to us and declare who we are in Jesus, would you take up that challenge in the way that Jesus has? You see, the problem is that when it's just Peter and Jesus, he's good. He's fine. When it's just Jesus and me, we seem to do pretty okay, right? But as soon as the world steps in with accusation or any kind of a sort of a question or ridicule, the enemy seems to have a way of getting us to back off, to fall into self-preservation. We defend ourselves in all sorts of ways. But what's fascinating, what we don't realize is that Christ has already defended us against these principalities and powers so that the strong can stay strong and for the weak to become strong. But this text does more than just give us encouragement in the midst of trial and questioning. It helps us recognize something much greater. How many characters in the Bible do we have where they are portrayed as obedient, faithful, loving followers of God? David, right? Solomon. We think of Daniel. We think of Moses and Aaron. Not to mention Jesus' own disciples, even Martha and Mary. Lots of women in these texts. Followers of Christ. Faithful people. But all of these men and women struggled in their faith. They struggled to keep the promises that, had made, that they had made to their God. Some of them did this in profound ways. Some in other ways. But Peter's denials of Jesus are no different. The question is, why does Jesus... This is what really struck me this week as I studied this text. Because the question is, why does Jesus bring us so close to himself? Why does God draw us so close only to let us push him away and deny our intimacy with him? Why does he do that? Why would he choose to cooperate with us and love us in the way that he did us? Surely Jesus knew Peter was coming in behind him. Surely he knew that the prophecy in chapter 13 about this denial would take place. And yet Jesus doesn't say to the high priest, can you wait a second? I need to go and scold my disciple for denying my, own, my very existence. He doesn't go and yell at him and scream at him and condemn him. Any of this stuff. But he knows what's going on. He's not a fool. To me, this is the strangest part of the whole story. But before Peter is given a chance to deny Jesus, in chapter 18, verse 12, 13, before he is ever given an opportunity to say those heart-wrenching words, I am not, Jesus tells the authorities in chapter 17, I am. As Jesus is arrested, when they ask him, are you the Messiah? How does he respond? I am. I am he. I am the one you are looking for. I am the person you think I am. Three times he affirms this. Our relationship with Jesus, church, does not hinge upon the fact that we are not. It does not hinge upon the idea that we, by our merit, are good enough or sufficient enough to call ourselves his followers. The only word that matters, the only affirmation that truly matters, is the one that Jesus utters to the authorities, I am he. It is precisely because I am not. I am not good enough. I am not worthy enough, faithful enough, obedient enough, and the adjectives go on and on and on. It is because I am none of these things that Christ can come alongside me and say, yeah, but I am. I am. 
And that's enough for me and for you. Like a good father who says, I know you're going to deny me. I know you're going to walk out the door. I know this. I know you're going to walk out on me from time to time. But guess what? I am not ever going to leave you or forsake you. I am not going anywhere. I am not ever going to leave you. I will always be able and willing to take the blow for you so that you can stand strong wherever you are. And so one of the questions I think that comes out of this text for us is when was the last time you denied Jesus in a vital area of your life? It can happen in an instant. Jesus challenges us to see the areas where we deny him, but we recognize also that in our denial he does not leave us or forsake us. We deny Jesus for the sake of something else we feel is stronger. We say no to Jesus because we're saying yes to something else. Maybe it is your own willpower. Maybe it's some outside force. But what are the areas where you too easily fall into denial about your Savior? We deny Jesus in all sorts of vital areas of our lives. And he knows this. He knows this. He knew Peter would deny him. He told him this straight at the table while they were eating together some chapters earlier. Jesus knows we will fall, but this is the truth of the matter that our place in Him does not fall. Our identity in Him does not get denied even for a second. So how does the story end? Our text says that Peter denied Him yet a third time and then a rooster crowed, just as Jesus prophesied it would. But that is not the end of the story. That is not the end of Peter's story or ours. Because you see, when Jesus is finally found guilty, if you read through the gospel and sentenced to death, he rises from the grave on the third day and he appears to his disciples in chapter 21 and he approaches Peter specifically and he asks him this question. Simon Peter, do you love me? Yes, he replies. A second time, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he replies. And yet a third time, Jesus asks and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the text tells us that Peter was hurt or grieved that his Lord would have the gall to ask him three times. Three times Peter denied his Lord, the one he loves. And Jesus now three times over seeks to redeem him, to bring him back into full relationship with him and calls on him, Three times, do you love me? Jesus does not leave us in our denial. He comes back and he says, okay, I see what you've done. I've heard it, but I still love you. Do you love me? Are we in this together? And one of the ways that he allows for us to come together to be reminded of the fact that we are always found in Him, regardless of how often we may deny Him, how often we may fall into sin. One of the ways that He has given us to remember this is at the table, where we commune together, where we recognize His love for us and ours for Him. Before we uh, have communion, I want to just pray for us. But I want us just to be thinking about this. In what areas is Christ being denied? and an encouragement to say that Christ will love you even through it.
even through it. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you again for your word to us. And we want to thank you for the way in which you've allowed this story to resonate in our hearts this morning. That, Father, we can be encouraged with the hope of your words that you are because we are not. Father God, thank you for this hope and this encouragement this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been in this service a few times, but we're going to participate in communion. And the way that Community Grace uh, facilitates communion is very much communally. And so we would just ask and, and resonate with Tom if you'd like to come forward in a few moments and partake of both the bread and the cup with us. We'd like to do this as a group, so if you join a group, two or three even, or come forward, and we're going to gather and, and, uh, and have a meal together, the way in which Jesus did in his gospel, in remembrance of him. Tom, um, music. If you'll Thank stand, you. that would be great.